Well, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, most of you know, my name is Dave. I'm the associate pastor of youth and young adults here. And so I want to say welcome, family and friends, and all our family and friends online as well. It's so good to be gathered together today. Now, we're in this the incredible series called Behold. Behold. I don't know if you've even thought about that word. We, we even sang it earlier. Behold. It's not just a sea on the surface. Just kind of like a, hey, let's check this out, like a good podcast or some sort of website or cool YouTube channel. But the angel, when we are called to behold, is inviting us, even commanding us to really see, to really see. And so this Christmas, we have an invitation to really see Jesus. And we have. Over these last few weeks, we have really seen Jesus as fully God and fully human. And today, I invite you to see Jesus fully as the King. Now, as we behold Jesus, look to Jesus, he actually truly redefines our understanding. Just as in our Christmas passage today, Jesus the King redefines. Firstly, he redefines greatness. He redefines, secondly, relationship with God. And thirdly, he redefines rule or, or being king. And fourthly and finally, he redefines the kingdom of God. So as we listen to our passage today, I pray that you would behold Jesus as king. So I invite you to stand with me if you are able and find in your Bibles Luke chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 26. And our passage today is particularly verses 32 and 33. So as we start in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And now our passage. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, as we come to celebrate Christmas, Jesus being born, will you let Jesus, and in particular this angel's announcement, Redefine your understanding who Jesus is as the king. Now, we're talking about redefining. Have you ever had moments or experienced moments that kind of redefined your life? Now, we've even prayed about one of them. It seems to be redefining our life in a pretty bad way, like COVID, right? That's kind of redefined how we do things. I'm going to tell you a slightly different story. Um, I'm going to start with the Blackberry. Now, some of you have no idea, if you're young, what this device is. 
Um, it's, it's, a, it's a device that you can talk on and you can send messages to, but it has an actual physical keyboard. It was a thing way, way back. Now, when it first came out, I thought this thing was genius, right? It does what it's supposed to do. It, it's, it's a tool, like it's a phone, yes, I can talk on it, and it does messaging, and, and that's pretty much it, because every, every other thing on it was pretty bad. Uh, I used to actually have a holster, a holster for my phone, and it was like, yeah, kind of like Woody from uh, Toy Story, like the to I'm, wa I'm watching Toy Story right now, just so you know. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but you know, it was, pretty, it was a pretty cool thing. It was a pretty cool thing, the Blackberry. But then came the iPhone and others like it, right? The smartphone, basically really entertaining and shiny and very, very profitable. And so now much of the world, much of our understanding is kind of at our fingertips or I guess at our thumb tips, right? All our, our stuff is at our fingertips. And we're kind of paying for it, but that's a totally other sermon. But here's the thing. The day I gave up this BlackBerry, the day I gave it up, was actually kind of a sad day for me. And you may hear it right now, because I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, it's kind of a sad day to me. Not just because I want to be stuck in the past, okay? That's not what it is. But there was, there was something simpler. That I had at least the perception that I had a little bit of self-control. Uh, let's face it. The BlackBerry was kind of boring. It, it really was. But now, with all our devices, many of you have amazing smartphones that do cooler things than mine does, my communications, my entertainment, my ways even of doing ministry in my awesome TikTok account, uh, distractions, all those things have been redefined by these devices, right? Technology like that. Now imagine, right now with me, that God wants to redefine everything for our good and for his glory. And that, friends, is what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about, redefining. So let's look at our first point, greatness. And he will be great. How does Jesus redefine and define greatness? Now, as the world would define greatness, it's kind of maybe in simple terms, above everyone else, right? kind of a big deal. Like, that guy's great. He's kind of a big deal. It's often maybe a, an achievement or a leader that kind of leads and achieves at, at the expense of others because kind of they're not so great, right? Great by title, like CEO or GOAT. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that. Now, some of the greats of uh, human history have been pretty amazing, right? They're, they're pretty impressive, like, I'm a bit of an old-school hockey fan, not so much a new one, but there was a guy who was called The Great One, and he was pretty amazing, this Wayne Gretzky, right? Right? Uh, Michael Jordan, called The Goat. You know, I said Michael Jordan, not other people, because that's kind of my era, right? Or, or someone like Steve Jobs, who I mentioned, you know, inventing all this technology and iPhone and computer and stuff. Pretty great, right? Or uh, someone like an amazing, great actress like, like a Meryl Streep. I've heard a funny story recently that she was called the goat, and she thought that was kind of cute by these younger, these younger actors, and she had no idea what it was, and they finally had to explain to her, actually, it means the greatest of all time. She was like, oh, I just thought you were calling me a goat. I thought it was kind of cute. Anyway. <laughs> now, these days, uh, title 
great, right? The title great often lands on someone who has this incredible success. Like, they are so great. Or they maybe make the world kind of sort of a little bit better, right? This, this title of great. But Jesus, but Jesus redefines great. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came, as we sang, from, from eternal glory to come to be as everyone else in the incarnation. He came to be as everyone else, fully human. Now, he also came fully as God. And so what we're seeing here is that Jesus is great, not because he has some achievement attached to him, and yes, he does, he made the universe. What you and I see is that Jesus is not great by any ordinary title like a great athlete or great entrepreneur or great scholar. And for sure, we can name a whole bunch of great things about Jesus. But the promise the angel is telling us is that Jesus is great in himself. He doesn't have to prove anything. Simply by his character, his power, and authority. Now, great in the Bible, and that's what this is referring to, most often refers to connection with God or derivative of God, comes from God. Either great human beings who accomplished amazing things by God. Or in this case, as we behold in Jesus the King, his greatness stands alone like the greatness of God. And listen to, to just this psalm on how the greatness of God is expressed. Psalm 95, and many of you, this is very familiar. Come, let us sing, to the Lord, sing to, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And we've done that, haven't we? And listen to this. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. The great king above all gods. You see, Jesus has a greatness and glory and magnitude that exceed all others who would be called great. But with Jesus' greatness, he redefines. He redefines. As king, he redefines great. The one who came came not to ser be served, but to serve, as we've already sang about. He came, to be, he came to be the one who served at the expense of himself, not just making others do things, but at the expense of himself, he went to the cross. So Jesus, who came, God in the flesh, to walk this earth in love and compassion, to be with us, walk with us, not distant, but intimate and serving. Jesus, the great king, served. He redefines what greatness is and invites us into this relationship with him. And as Christians, this is really cool, as Christians, we no longer live ordinary, boring life. We don't. And we also no longer live huge, self-driven fame lives. That's not an option as a Christian. Listen to what Jesus says of greatness 20-odd chapters after this passage in Luke 22. He's talking to his disciples. A dispute also arose among them, disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, 
The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Like, look at how great we are. We give stuff, right? But you, he's telling them, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Now, as we move from this first point, I ask you, is your desire for any greatness, and it's good to have desire for greatness in your life, is your desire for greatness any way like Jesus, a greatness of serving? How, friends, can we serve? Now, Jesus, this king, is great, and he is son, and this shows us his relationship with God. Let me read this to us again, verse 32 of our passage. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So how does Jesus define and redefine relationship with God? Son of the Most High. Maybe it's not your most familiar way of talking about Jesus, but it's just another way of saying Jesus is the Son of God. Now, even the term Most High is kind of amplifying our previous point on great. He's most high. This is this authority above all things, this supreme authority. He is the son of the supreme authority. Now listen to how Psalm 47 describes how we can respond to the supreme authority. Verse 47, clap your hands, all ye nations, shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord most high is awesome. We should be in awe of him the great king over all the earth. And here's the thing. This same language that we're seeing here in Psalm 47 is entrusted to Jesus. Jesus, the king, is the son of the most high. Now, in the Old Testament, those who are seen as kind of sons of God or sons of the most high, they hold a very special place in relationship with God. And this puts Jesus in some good company. David and Solomon and other kings, particularly good ones, not the lame ones, in David's line. But each of these human beings, as good as some of them are, are faulty. But the actual Son of the Most High, the Son of God, God the Son, is in perfect love and unity and obedience to the Father. Perfect love and obedience and unity with the Father. Listen to this very familiar passage on sonship. Some of you know this really well from 2 Samuel 7, where God is speaking through the prophet Nathan to David, who is king at the time. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. The promise of a king in the line of David, a son who is led and loved by God as father. The promise here is of intimacy and love in the family relationship. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus the King. We could spend, friends, all eternity pondering the relationship, that closeness of relationship between God the Father and God 
the Son, the Son of the Most High. But right now, I just want to leave us with this question. How close is Jesus the King to God the Father? Just let your mind go there for a second. How close is King Jesus to God the Father? How much does he listen, speak, love, relate? How does this closeness speak to you and I this Christmas? Now, just personally, let me tell you that this week, I had my first long-term foster care experience. And uh, I've been well-trained. I've had lots of relief experiences over the years. But I can tell you, this year with a little guy in my house, um, my inadequacy and weakness and trying to love and care for this kid as Jesus has called me, I realized I didn't have the resources or help or ability I thought I did. And right now, I'm a bit of a wreck standing before you. I am very worn out, feeling a little ugh, right? It's been a pretty long week. But I tell you, my prayers this week, my prayers this week have been deep and real and intimate with God. And I'm reminded, and yes, even embarrassed, at how much I take God for granted. Times like this week, and I'm sure you have many other times in your life where you're kind of desperate and you really feel close to God. I see how I miss. I'm like, I love being close to God. Why why do I not do this all the time? I see how I miss that closeness and obedience to God when I'm not desperate. So this Christmas, friends, how can you draw closer to God in intimacy and obedience as a son the daughter, the child of God. I tell you that Jesus, the King, embodies this intimacy and obedience. So as we come to Christmas this year, remembering a real baby born in a manger, born as the Son of the Most High, in perfect love and obedience, can you already see the cross? Jesus, the Son, in perfect obedience to the Father, even to death on a cross. And I just want to remind us that over the cross, it said, Jesus, King of the Jews. So the third point I want us to think about is, how does Jesus define, redefine kingship or rule? Let me read this past, our passage over us again. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, or the house of Jacob. Now, if we, we go back, if we go back to when Israel didn't have kings and then had a king, we're going to look at a little story just for a moment at how that all came about. And that takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the people of God are demanding a king. They were like, We want a king. Samuel's like, what? We want a king. We want to be like everyone else. That's what they're saying. Let me read just a bit of that for you. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, this isn't very nice, but he said, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want a king to fight our battles for us. That's what they're saying. 
And on the surface, that sounds okay. But listen to the response. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Hear that again. They have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing now to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And Samuel says, this king is going to be a disaster. And he was, and all the other kings after him, really. Now in a sense, in a sense, human beings were always meant to rule. They, were, they really were always meant to rule, as we see in God's creation with Adam and Eve, both to have dominion and stewardship under God, but Adam and Eve, they both fail, don't they? As do we. And when God's people here demand a king, they get a, a very tall and handsome and influencer type, Saul. And he brutally fails to love and serve God. Now, chosen leaders like Jacob and all his house as good as they are sometimes. And we kind of looked at that in our series with Joseph, right? They, they can be okay, pretty good. But even this house is full of lies and brokenness, sin and selfishness. Now, if we want to go, okay, well, let, let's go to the better ones, all right? The better ones, like David, right? He's all right. David or Solomon, his son, kings entrusted by God to establish his rule and blessing. And what do we see? War and sin, and death, and judgment. So even as a human being was meant to rule, they were also never really meant to rule as sinful and faulty kings like these. But the angel, Gabriel, calls us to behold Jesus. The Lord God himself, God himself, will give him, this chosen son, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, over his house. Jesus is the incredible answer to the incredible promises, just as we looked at in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'll just read just a little bit more. In verse 12, it says this, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, as he's being told, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So behold Jesus, the promised, chosen Messiah, King, or Christ in the line of David. Over the house of Jacob, the people of God, the one to truly build the house of God, the temple, right? Wow, what a king. That is a, that is a big promise. So Jesus, God and man, king and center of worship. And the Gospels, this is, this is really cool. In the Gospels, we see a whole bunch of different ways that Jesus is portrayed. And I love what N.T. Wright tells us. He kind of gives us a little bit of, of, of a summary of some of the things we've been talking about in his book, How God Became King. And I just want to read an excerpt from it. I think it's really helpful for us. Here's what N.T. Wright says. And the Gospels tell a story of Jesus 
as a story of a one-man walking temple. Early on in the story, we find hints. Who then is this, people ask, as Jesus does remarkable things, speaks and acts with authority, behaving as if he is the one who's now in charge. Jesus is portrayed by the Gospels, and I love this, as a one-man apocalypse, the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where and by the means by which people come and find themselves renewed and restored as the people of the one God, the place where power is redefined, turned upside down, or perhaps the right way up. All these are signs granted the world of thought in which he lived, that he was indeed launching a new kind of theocracy or, or faith rule, and that he really did believe he was a new kind of king. So temple and throne meet in Jesus, but is he just limited to a group of people in the Middle East, which is kind of like the you know, the household of Jacob. You've got Abraham and, and Jacob and David and Solomon who all kind of were in limited space and, and people. Impressive as they were, Jesus, as we behold him, the king of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has unlimited authority over every nation, every ethnicity, Amen. every culture. Can I just repeat that? I think in, in this season of political discourse, I want us to hear this. Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom of heaven, he has unlimited authority over every nation. You think of a nation, Jesus has authority over it. Over every beautiful ethnicity on the face of this world, Jesus has authority over it. Every culture, the Amazing things that people have accomplished. Jesus has authority over every culture because there is no limitation on who Jesus rules. <laughs> so in Canada, our prime minister, he leads us. For some of you who are in school, your principal leads your school, right? For some of us, our CEO leads our company. For many of us, youth and young adults, Kids, your mom and dad lead the family. Much of the time, it's kind of me who thinks I lead myself, right? But we're called to behold Jesus, the true king. This Christmas, can you accept his supreme authority over your life? What needs to come under Jesus' rule in your life? And I'm sure you can name a whole bunch of things, whether it's maybe your schedule Maybe it's, it's your bank account. Maybe it's career, family. What is it that needs to come under Jesus' rule in your life? Now, not only is Jesus the king with unlimited grace and power and authority, but his kingdom is also unlimited. His kingdom is also unlimited. Let me read once again from verse 32 and 33 of our passage. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So fourth and finally, how does Jesus define and redefine kingdom? Kingdom. 
Well, in the here and now, our understanding of this kind of kingdom-y thing or, or rule kind of thing is, is kind of more like a political rule, right? Or, or people ruling or having influence. Like that guy rules the internet or she really rules this area. But those influences are limited by what? <laughs> Simply by the, the time someone maybe is in office, right? You're only in office so long. Or maybe even just the time you're alive, right? This is, this is how the influence I have while I'm alive, right? Whether it's, it's an influencer like, you know, one of the Kardashians or something, or Ellen or Jake Paul, I don't even know why that guy boxes, whatever. Or it's a celebrity like a, a Drake or a Billie Eilish or, or even a president, prime minister, or the Queen of England. They're all limited in their authority and rule. But Jesus, behold Jesus, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus redefines king and kingdom. There is no limit to the scope of Jesus' kingdom. Think about that. There's no, there's no limit to the scope of Jesus' kingdom. There's no limit to the time of Jesus' kingdom. It goes on forever because there is no limit to Jesus' kingdom. This Christmas, as you consider the Messiah King, born in Bethlehem, do you know him as the resurrected, ascended King who rules and reigns forever and ever, forever and ever, eternal? Beholding Jesus redefines our future, redefines right now and how it affects our future because Jesus is the now and future King. He's the now and forever King. Will you let Jesus redefine your now, your right now, and how it might impact your forever? Would you let Jesus redefine your now and how it would impact your forever? Because, friends, he is coming again. He is coming again as king. And again, a very familiar passage to us in Revelation 21. I just want us to hear this because this is our future. Verse 2 of Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is your future under Jesus the King with unlimited rule and kingdom. So if this is true, what can you do now to truly impact your forever? What are you doing now that you think, That's, that doesn't matter in the light of eternity? What can I do now that would actually change that? I know for me, there's a whole bunch of things that, that I sit on right now, like fear and, and worry, that I'm not going to have in eternity. And I wonder how I can pray into that to let God remind me of the now and future kingdom that I have and the hope that I have in him. How can that impact my now 
and forever. So friends, I I would invite you to let Jesus, the king of this eternal kingdom, redefine your hope, my hope. So, how as we wrap up? I've said a whole lot of things. One of the great promises of Christmas is a king to be born and to behold him. Jesus the king and who he is. How does that change us, redefine us? And these four things, maybe one of them, kind of popped in your head. is like, oh, the Holy Spirit's kind of stirring in me with, with this one thing. It doesn't have to be all four, but I just want to remind us of those as we wrap up. Jesus the King is great. Thinking about his greatness, how do you serve? How do you love and care for others and not just yourself? How do I do that and not just care about myself? Unified with God in love. Here's the question, how can you and I grow closer to God even in this season? Be intentional about that. Jesus the King is ruling and reigning And how can you and I come under his authority and follow in obedience and discipline? Jesus, the eternal king of the kingdom, full of power. How can we do now what we know will have eternal significance? How can we hope and and love and live out the gospel and, and pray? So friends, I pray that God would move you and me in faith this Christmas to receive Jesus, the King of the kingdom, that we may behold Jesus even more deeply this Christmas. Amen? Amen.